Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Is This Music, a podcast about the mysteries of musical taste, why we love the music we love and hate what we hate. My name is Malcolm Fraser. As the attentive listener will no doubt already know, we've talked a lot about country music on this show, and in particular, why new country, so-called, is such a stumbling block for a certain type of person. And uh, Garbage Face, uh, on episode 20, said by some to be one of the best episodes, if not the single best yet, so check it out if you hadn't. Um, I mean, he spoke very eloquently uh, in defense of new country, um, but all the same, I do feel that we need to dive a little deeper in this genre, and uh, we're about to do that on this show. Katie Moore, Montreal musician and notable country curator, is with us to get right into it. Check it out and enjoy. Uh, Katie Moore, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's nice to uh, it's nice to talk with you. Um, we we know each other from uh, from back in the day. I remember that uh, I was playing a show at the Paso Lamani, late lamented dive bar on Park. Oh my God, I forgot about that place. And I was looking for an opener, and I asked Raph Kadigbach, and he was like, "You should ask Katie Moore." Oh my God! And I sent you an email out of the blue, and you were sa- you said, "If you want someone who's totally different than what you do, then that then I'll do it. <laughs> if you're not looking for that, then you should ask someone else." Is that what I said? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I'm paraphrasing, um, but uh, but it was true because you were doing like a really traditional country thing. And I was like a solo, costumed, electronic weirdo. Diva. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll leave that for others to say. But, um, but, um, but I, 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 I guess Raph saw something that I think we did have in common, which, you know, among other things was a love of kind of like traditional folk country music. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that was the first time we met when we did that show together. Yeah, I forgot about that. I was trying to remember, like, how far we go back. That was... F- well, that was in, like, 2003. Okay. So, I, you know... Probably one of my first shows... Really? Like, with of my own band. So, right. yeah, I, I that was really fun. What a fun night. <laughs> and what a crazy yeah, bar. Was, I know. That place was so crazy. I feel like, I mean, there might still be some vestiges of that, um, but I, f- I feel like that was uh, unique to that time and, and place. Just like a really, really weird bar where you could just book anything. Um, and the place next door was just called Bar. <laughs> it just had like a, a neon sign that said Bar. And if, if you didn't like the band or the vibe at Pasolomani, you could just go next door to bar. That's amazing. I do remember I uh, lived just down the street, so I rolled an amp to the show in one of those like kitty uh, stroller roller things. Oh, nice. (laughs) That was my Um, first load in, maybe. (laughs) Wow. I didn't know that it was so like early days for you. you. You seemed like such a pro. Maybe I had played shows, but and shows on my own 
with just me and the guitar or with a band with Raph. I was in a band with Raph. Okay. So what was your band with him? Uh, it had so many names. Uh, you know, it changed names every month. But it was with uh, Steve Methusik and Pascal Barjat and Raph. I think we were what called the... the Mighty Zentradi or RU47. And the Incredible okay. I... Redhead was one name. But I think that was Pascal because he dyed his hair red. That, that, that was about okay. him. So what kind of a band was it? I I don't know. Like we we really liked pavement, so maybe it was inspi- pavement influenced. Okay. See, this is very interesting to me because I always thought of you. I mean, I guess because you're sort of in the country folk singer songwriter world, and you're you are one of the hosts of the Country Classics Hour on um, CKUT, and also because okay, I I don't know if I'm like getting too far ahead of myself but like i remember that later on we had another very bonding experience uh, touring with chili gonzalez yeah you were singing singing with his band and i was the opener for a few shows in germany back in 2008 or 9 and uh that was very a very fun time uh and uh and i remember that i'm still not sure if you were like bluffing or, or joking when you said this but like that you didn't know who Snoop Dogg was. <laughs> I probably didn't. I just like I knew I was like an empty pit, <laughs> still, still working on filling the pit. <laughs> like I don't know anything, and so I'm sure, like there was a time when I didn't know who he was, and that could have been it. I mean, I think yeah. I have like. But that's kind of amazing that you could be insulated from such a an immense cultural figure as late as 2008 <laughs> or 9. I remember like Dan Seligman once talking about Feist and I was like, who's Feist? And he was like, who is Feist, Katie? Like, you, you idiot. You know, that's kind of like, I, I remember even at the height of, uh, you know, the reminder and, and Leslie's kind of like moment of, of fame, there were still people who had no idea who she was. And that's when I started to realize how fragmented the, the music uh, audience really was. Um, but uh, that's a kind of an aside because, okay, so I'm trying to put the pieces together of someone who doesn't know who Snoop Dogg is in the late 2000s, yeah. but yet was into pavement before getting into traditional folk and country yeah I guess you know I grew up and my parents are from England and they they moved to Alberta they had a dream of I think living on a ranch and being cowboys okay but then so then but they lived like in an apartment they didn't live on a ranch but they so they my dad really embraced country music as Canadian country music and American and so I just grew up listening to it and not really realizing maybe that it's not what everyone listens to. Like, I, I feel like mm. I was very influenced by my dad's musical taste. Like, I really liked him a lot. So, and I feel, yeah, so I don't know. Like, definitely how did, like, I got into Joni Mitchell, not through my dad. And then that was like, whoa. There's other music, <laughs> I kind of like, which is very so folky too, right? But to me, that was yeah, like... I was going to say, you made a huge leap <laughs> from country to Jimmy Mitchell. Yeah, I guess not. But I don't know, like, somehow, 
how did I get into pavement? I guess like I lived with Pascal for some years and he was influential, I guess, on my musical taste and opened me up. Like I remember being with Pascal and we were listening to music and he was like, God, oh, you like the bass sounds good, eh? And I was like, I don't hear bass. <laughs> and I remember like I couldn't hear different instruments in a song. It was just like the song existed. <laughs> It was one sound and there was music and yeah, I think that's like different ways of hearing music. And I, I was the same for quite a long time. Were you? It took me quite a while to be able to listen to a song and go, Oh, like the keyboard is doing this and the guitar is doing that. I think there was like, you know, it's kind of inevitable as you get into music that you start, you know, hearing those things and, and, and then listening for them more. But there's something beautiful about like the time of just pure, just letting it wash over you. Yeah, like the, I guess I was just, it's like the song. Like I didn't, I, I didn't even think like songs were written. You know, it's like, they just, it's like a tree, it exists. Even though a tree doesn't always exist, but it's like, it was just this thing that I would happen upon and listen to. So, I mean, I remember like, I. I got back into country music. Like I started going to the wheel club and, uh, Oh, the wheel club. I was just thinking about the wheel club, but go on. Yeah. And the wheel club, I think that was the first place that I played like just myself and a guitar. And I was so nervous. I thought I was going to (laughs) barf. And so listening to that music and then one day, like trying to hear like harmonies, like (laughs) I didn't even hear harmonies. I just heard like, yeah, two people were singing, but I could never think about like what they were singing. Yep, I totally know what you mean. Like for example, like I listened to Kate and Anna McGarrigal a ton when I was a kid because my parents were pretty into folk, and like it's only now, or in the last like you know since I got into music and songwriting more seriously that I could even realize that there were harmonies going on and like everything that was happening musically in that, in those songs, Isn't... which is, I mean, it sounds kind of stupid to say, but I honestly think that I don't know. I don't want to say most people, many people still experience music that way. They don't think about what's happening or why, or the choices that go into it. It's just like, they're just listening and enjoying it, which is kind of beautiful. I kind of wish I could do that in a way. Right. Yeah. That, that's interesting especially like to if you write music it's like every detail is so important you know but (laughs) think of maybe only to you (laughs) i don't know well i think it's important to focus on those details but i also think it's important sometimes to step back and that's why it's so valuable to like play music for other people who aren't musicians or who aren't in the in the world of it so much because like they're not going to care about the snare sound. They're not going to care about, you know, where something sits in the mix. I mean, they might unconsciously react to that, but they'll probably just react more to like melodies and lyrics and everything else. I think happens at a more unconscious level. Hmm, interesting. Just not to say that you shouldn't care about it, but sometimes you go down these rabbit holes, and then you have to remind yourself, wait, like nobody actually gives a shit. (laughs) Do you find like having a son, do you listen to, has it made you listen to music differently? Like just watching him listen to it or being part of his 
listening to music. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I couldn't really say how it's changed. I mean, he's very focused on lyrics. What is that? What is that? what's he? What are they saying? What does that mean? Hmm. Like those are his go-to questions. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just like very pure and very, you know, like you can imagine like if there's any noise or if suddenly there's like a saxophone scronk, he's just like, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) You know? What the hell is that? (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's what, (laughs) that's an instinctive gut reaction to that kind of music. Um, But yeah, I know he's, he's, uh, he, he listens to stuff and he gets obsessive. He always wants to listen to like the same songs over and over and over again. And, uh, it's pretty funny. And of course, like, because I have to hear them so many times, like kind of either like grow an appreciation or like a deep hatred of, uh, <laughs> of whatever the, the song may be. Um, Amazing. okay. So, so you, you talked about, um, performing at the wheel club before. And I mean, for those, uh, unfamiliar with it, this is a place, um, you know, I guess, can we use the present tense talking about it or anything? For sure. Uh, it's uh, a place in, in like the West end of Montreal that has been around for a very, very long time. And like, uh, um, and it's like sort of a traditional country, like a home for a traditional country. I remember the first time I went there in the early 2000s when I'd moved to Montreal and like looking over to the wall and like a picture of the band playing from like the 70s or 80s and then looking over to the stage and it's the same people <laughs> performing. And it was there's something kind of amazing about that. Um, and they had a very strict policy of, uh, of like old school country. And I, I seem to remember that, what was the guy, Bob? Bob Fuller. Yeah, he he had his policy of like 1966 was his cutoff point. Yeah. And my friend Steve said to him, what about, you know, would you play something from Merle Haggard's first album from 1966? And he said, I I don't like that new stuff. (laughs) Yeah, they weren't into drums. Stuff with drums was like... Mm. I I don't know if you've ever seen like the membership card to the Wheel Club, but it's Mm. like... You know, Katie Moore, and then it says under it, I think it says, has pledged to protect country music from the ravages of Nashville sound and its electronic gadgetry or something like that. Okay. Which is pretty amazing. And I I just realized I have my, on the wall here, my old time Country Music Club of Canada Certificate of Achievement. Oh, yeah. That is very cool. Signed by Bob Fuller. And what what did you have to do to attain that certificate i uh went to hillbilly night <laughs> that's okay. it that's all you you just have to support the cause oh i never got one of these certificates oh this i even, this ate, is awkward. I, even <laughs> I even ate some of the pickled eggs that they sell for a dollar <laughs> you did not did you really <laughs> i did once pretty sure that's imp- um, impressive. They actually recently opened up the decade, so you can play stuff up until 1969 now. Okay. That's yeah. <laughs> but I think that changed this year because Jeannie, Jeannie still runs it. Because okay. Bob Fuller passed away a few years ago. Right. And Jeannie's taken over, but it's the same. And Denise helps a lot. And they have been doing stuff during the pandemic, too, like live uh, 
live streams. I don't know if it's every Monday, but it's often to try and keep it going. Okay. That's great. Good to know. I mean, you know, what an amazing place. And I, I loved it. And I, I, I didn't, I was never a regular, but I, I went back a few times over the years and it was interesting to see how the crowd would change. Like, I think when I first went there, it was really like, it was not only the same musicians, but it was like the same audience too, as in the old days. And then like, picked up this sort of like hipster crowd and then this sort of yuppie crowd. And then at one point, all these like gutter punks started getting really into old country. And so it was a real like real mix of, of different people, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it's it's true eh? how the crowd changes. It like it becomes cool in different sectors for a little while. And then. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a way, how could you like, how could it not be cool? It's just a matter of like, because it's so um it's so traditional and 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 like they they just believe in it so much yeah and there's great line dancing and i don't know if you can line dance anywhere else in montreal you mean like if that it's allowed or, or uh... <laughs> it might not be allowed no <laughs> there probably there could have been line dancing at pasalamani for sure yeah, yeah, or it just could have been someone staggering around. <laughs> um, so, okay, but I wanted to talk about this idea of of, uh, of traditional country because you are, are as, as we said, one of the hosts of the Country Classics Hour, a great radio show uh, that's on Sunday evenings on CKUT. Great radio and station. You, <laughs> yes, yeah. And, um, and you guys too kind of like, it's not as, uh, you know, it's not as strict perhaps as the, the cutoff point of the wheel club, but you tend to focus more on like, on, well, the, it's right there in the name, like classic country. And uh, I remember like before you and Andy and the other hosts took over, there was like an old guy who did the show, right? Ross Harvey. Ross. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I remember, cause I listened to it for, for, uh, you know, quite a number of years. And um, at one point he, uh, he had a night off and some young people were were hosting the show and they start and they were playing like some music from the something like nico case or like you know something crazy <laughs> yeah and and i thought oh this is gonna i wonder how this is gonna go over with like the the greenfield park you know senior citizen crowd and i think i mentioned that to you and you said that it actually was like controversial yeah well, Ross Harvey, you know, he did the show for like 16 years and he was a wheel clubber. He would go there on Monday nights. Um, so he played a lot of like music from the 50s and 60s. And uh, when we took over the show from him, because he retired from the show, like if I played something new, people would call and complain. There was a, a lot. It was the same listeners that were loyal to the wheel club that were right. loyal to the radio show. So, <clears throat> you know, and so, sometimes my feelings got hurt. Like <laughs> I remember I played Keith Richards, a version of, uh, I'm so lonesome. I could cry the Hank Williams tune. And like someone called wow. and was like, that is not country. <laughs> so now I just, and I remember going to, uh, I remember going to the Auburg uh, bluegrass festival. It's in Vermont. And somebody there like came up to me and was like, I've been listening to the show and it, you're not playing enough country, traditional country anymore. Like international complaints 
because we didn't play like only Kitty Wells. So, but it's been a slow, slow move because I, I personally think that, you know, all <laughs> decades of music are awesome and should be celebrated. So I tried to incorporate, you know, all, all elements into it. And sometimes, you know, I say, is this country? Call me if you're mad because now I enjoy it. Especially yeah. now that no one can call during the pandemic. Anyway. <laughs> so you're just basically taunting me. If you have a problem, call this phone. Yeah, exactly. But I. It's kind of like the bumper sticker that says, How's my driving? Call 1-800 eat shit. That's what I'm doing, but hopefully more subtly. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think it is that, that gets people. Um, you know, stuck in this traditional mindset, like, um, because, you, you know, it's, I, I feel like at some level, I understand it. But on the other hand, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, right? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think sometimes we just like what we like. And sometimes we're lazy, and we don't want to be bothered to, you know, expand our musical horizons but I think like maybe in particular in country music it's like you know when Nashville sound happened and instead of the fiddle there's like the string section and that was like maybe seen as I mean I'm not a music historian but as a move towards pop music so this idea that country is becoming too pop and that people need to protect the tradition of country but the, like what is the tradition of country you know like it's like instruments that have come from all over the world that, like I don't I don't know it, it's weird I was hoping you could answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no I, I I mean it's interesting what you say and I am uh, somewhat aware of the so okay let's back up a little bit like when you say Nashville sound can you define that for somebody who might not be familiar with the the term I mean loosely no no <laughs> um it's I mean I think it's like string sections were like written string parts were introduced into country music maybe in the late 50s I'm not sure exactly when, like, you know, Patsy Cline, she she had a lot of, like, string sections or it's it was yeah. more orchestrated mm -hmm. country music. So that's what, so I, maybe that's what Nashville sound is, like, just this, like, more orchestration of country music as opposed to, like, you know, the fiddle taking a solo, like one fiddler taking a solo. So it, it just sounded more polished and... Mm -hmm. I guess that is more like pop music. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if we're situating it at that era, it's true that like pop wa was typically orchestral, like there would be an orchestra playing. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I just think that, that that music is so amazing, like whether it's Patsy Cline, like Skeeter Davis, like that, that whole era. And I think, I mean, maybe it, to me, like the, the crossover between country and that orchestral pop, like is it's part it, it that's part of the appeal of it. Yeah. Um, even though I love, you know, like, for instance, I love like the anthology of American folk music, which is like a super raw sounding and it sounds like it's 
you know, on someone's back porch, even though, of course, as we know, those were all like recorded in the studio and blah, 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 blah. But like, um, you know, there is something that feels raw and authentic to it. And I was wondering, like, I mean, this is true across all genres, but like, why do you think that this idea of authenticity is so important to people? Hmm. Good question. I mean, especially today, like, what, like, what is authenticity? Like, is it just a personal, is it for the music maker or the music listener? I don't know. I mean, I definitely think we're like at a time now that it's like the, you know, to explore these questions and like wonder, like when we say something is traditional, are we saying that to exclude certain people from taking part in it? I don't know. That's part of it for sure. Like, you know, categorize categories are partly there like to exclude in a way to just delineate like, well, this is who belongs and this who doesn't, this is who doesn't belong. But I'm just, I guess I'm curious, like, okay, so let's, let, let's trace the, the timeline a little bit. Like, because you say you're not a music historian, but you, you, you know, th- there's some false modesty in there. Like you have some expertise in like classic <laughs> country music, right? Well, I mean, I don't know, maybe, probably not. <laughs> if there's any historians listening, <laughs> but like, uh, do you want to trace the history of like country music? Well, I'm just I'm just kind of like thinking out loud that Please. like you know the, the the recording industry per se starts in like the early 20th century, right? And uh, there's this term hillbilly music, which basically is is like a racial code for like there's like hillbilly music, which is what we would call country and then like race records in quotes which is like blues like basically like white people music and black people music right it's a segregated approach to the marketing and distribution of the of the music uh even though like as we know a lot of the musical innovation that happened was from the crossover of those two communities yeah and then like Sorry, go ahead. Well, and also, like, so much early country music. I mean, it's not even just the crossover, but, like, like white people learned how to play guitar from black people, and then they went and got popular and rich from it. Right, right. The same old story, I guess. Yeah, like, if you look at the Carter family, you know, they were the first, one of the first bands recorded in the Bristol Sessions, in like 19, uh, 19 or 20 or 23, I can't remember. And like AP Carter, you know, he's credited with writing so many songs, but he like, he had someone work with him. Leslie Riddle, a black man would go with him and travel into the area and he would collect songs from people like AP Carter. He, he didn't even know really how to play music. Leslie Riddle did all of the work, wrote down the songs, notated it, and then A.P. Carter would catalog it as a song that he himself wrote. And, like, you know, people didn't hear about Leslie Riddle for many, many years. 
I, I just, I didn't even know about him until you just said that. And I read like a biography of the Carter family. Yeah. I don't recall that being, being in the book. Me too. I read a biography and it wasn't in the book either. That's wild. Yeah. So like. So it, it was like a, you know, musical colonization or like just outright theft. Yeah, absolutely. Or like, or just like, and using, you know, just like using people yeah for personal gain wow well that's a bummer i mean to hear about it kind of like i feel like i won't be able to listen to those beautiful carter family harmonies in quite the same way but i mean that's the you know that's this that seems to happen in, in all music right yeah um, and you can listen to leslie riddle because he has some recordings of okay. like early versions of songs that the carter family recorded and they're awesome it's like him and his guitar that's cool um so yeah and, and i mean even like the banjo is like essentially like a like a african instrument right yeah the banjo is from africa and uh came to you know north america i guess through slavery that and you know i think in the civil war that's when all you know the fiddle and the banjo and all these instruments people got together that were wouldn't have been put together uh -huh. except for through the war and yeah that's wild okay so there's so there's a lot to 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 sort of like wrestle with even just in that story um so then like and then when when does the nashville sort of music industry begin is that like in the 50s i think so i uh i'm not really good with dates but okay. i think it was like mid 50s late 50s that... i mean uh, yeah there's no pressure and obviously we could probably just look it up <laughs> online but 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 i mean if you think about someone like hank williams like that's like 50s yeah know, like he died in 57 oh god i can't remember but yeah he wasn't nashville sound kitty wells no, I mean, that... jimmy rogers I don't even think the Lubin brothers were Nashville sound. So it's after them. So maybe it's more early 60s that yeah. like just stuff was more uh, arranged and more mass produced. And, you know, the music industry was like, hey, let's make some money. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's funny because people invoke Hank Williams as this symbol of authenticity, uh, you know, as opposed to a, a sort of slick music industry kind of thing. And don't get me wrong, because I love his music, but like, you know, you look at footage of the guy playing and he's playing with a freaking like suit with music notes on it. It's not like he was, you know, uh, what, what am I trying to say? Like it, it was a music industry product at the, at the same time, you know? Yeah. Like it's not like he, it's not like whatever authenticity means it's not like they plucked him out of like a cotton field where he was playing on a porch, like just for the sake of expression or whatever. Like he was a, a professional in the industry. Yeah, totally. Like, uh, you know, I don't think he wrote my bucket's got a hole in it because he had one bucket and it had a hole in it, you know, like <laughs> I, he, yeah. he, uh, he was a show, a showman, a performer yeah. and you know, he, but I mean, he wrote amazing songs. Yeah, yeah, and it's they're no, not. It's no, it's no disrespect to his like legacy or his work or anything like that. But it's just a bit like what you were saying before about when you're like a kid or when you're when you when you're not engaging with music, 
like on a deep level, you just kind of think that it exists. Yeah. Yeah. Not that it's been like crafted to be put in your ears, like through a whole bunch of different people and processes and everything. I guess like maybe country music, it's always trying to sell a no a notion of authenticity. Like even today, you know, there's a song that's like uh, the best view. I can't remember what the chorus is like the best view in the world is on my front porch looking in like this idea of like family values and like uh, it. So maybe that's country music's idea of authenticity. I don't know, but like it's it's just crafted like yeah, <laughs> word for yeah. word, you know, like it's not it doesn't it doesn't exist. I mean, I think of authenticity in terms of a person who makes music just making music that's true to them, mm-hmm. maybe, and that isn't like harmful to anyone else or taking advantage of anyone else or using their like position of power to get ahead with it. To me, that's yeah. authenticity. And I guess for sure, everything else is like showmanship. But yeah, For sure. it's true about and, Hank Williams that, you know, this notion that he was. I mean, I just think like, you know, I wonder where the idea of authenticity comes from. And I, I can't help but think that it's just, you know, it's when you were a kid. Hmm. That's when things were were real. And everything since then is like a corruption of the of your sort of frozen in time notion. I'm curious about, um, I mean, you, you talked about you know, a new definition of authenticity. And I also think of like something like, uh, this is a bit off topic, but like I saw uh, Steve Earle play once at uh, Théâtre Outremont. I don't know if you were at that show. It was like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Maybe-ish. Well, you would remember it because um, the the power went out during the show. I was not there. Okay, so yeah, he's playing with his band and everything and the power goes out. And like some guy comes on stage and just like, says something in his ear and he's like oh yeah all right and then he goes to the front of the stage does without missing a second and he and he says oh the power's gone out i'm just going to play you know play acoustically until it comes back on and he just starts strumming and singing and you know everybody kind of leans forward a little bit because you have to now like just put a little more effort into hearing but it's an old theater right so it's built for like projecting the human voice it's actually sounds kind of awesome so he does like two three songs like this and then like when the power came back on it was like almost disappointing <laughs> because it was like suddenly we were in like a pre-amplification era and there was i mean i just i thought it was so cool that he did that like how many other artists would have just walked off the stage until the, the power came back on most of them you know like i don't know if i would have had the the the, the courage to just be like, oh, okay, like, I'll just keep playing. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's amazing. That must have been a great concert. I mean, it was, it was really, really memorable. So to get back on track of, of what we were just talking about, like, um, the, you've got the Nashville sound, that's in the 60s. And then like, then in the 70s, I know that there was a bit of, um, you know, I don't know how you would define it, but I feel like there were there was another kind of crossover moment with a kind of singer-songwriter idea, whether it's artists like Willie Nelson or like 
Emilio Harris or people like that who um, were, I think it's like, it's like the birth of like the idea of an, of a kind of like alternative outside of the mainstream kind of country. Is that fair to say? Sure. Like a, if you look at like Waylon Jennings, you know, he was all like short hair singing pretty songs. And then he, he's the example. And then he kind of like broke free from whatever, like constraints, I guess he felt yeah. being part of that. And became like I guess they were called like the musical outlaws. I, I guess it's yeah. funny, I never even thought of like Emmy Lou Harris or Willie Nelson as like singer songwriters. <laughs> like, no. Because I guess like like not not really more than uh, the country musicians that came before them. But maybe yeah, because they sang the songs that they wrote as opposed to other people's songs. Well, I mean I guess that's one thing, but I mean uh I guess, you know, perhaps I'm revealing my own kind of like blinders and my own perspective because like I'm just citing some artists who like appeal to people who aren't necessarily country fans. Okay. I see what and, you mean. And like, you know, I, I, I have never gotten really deep with any particular era of country, but like there's certain artists who like pop out at me as people whose music I just really love. Um, and I wonder what the you know if that's a strictly musical thing or if there's some kind of like symbolic semiotic like thing going on there that like makes certain artists more palatable to like a non-core country audience yeah i don't know i don't know i mean for me it's like the thing that i like about country music in all of its incarnations is uh like just this this like the songs themselves you know like there's yeah. there's so there's just like a sad song that breaks your heart and somehow makes you feel alive and maybe like Emmy Lou Harris and Willie Nelson they're they're doing the same thing you know as Hank Williams so I don't know I mean what made them more mainstream that's, yeah, I mean, I don't even know I if don't it's know. mainstream per se, but I don't marketing, <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? Like, that's, I, I, I think it, it could be like an example, maybe of this, the same kind of thing as like the Nashville Sound when they like took out the, you know, put the, put the strings in to like appeal to a bigger audience, and there might have been something like that going on, it, it, with. Uh, some kind of like mysterious marketing, like black magic that like <laughs> gets someone like me like paying attention. Um, but then like in the, in, in the nineties, I'm skipping over the eighties cause I just don't know that much about the eighties country beyond like, you know, there was Lyle Lovett and like, uh, Randy Travis. Yep. 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 The Judds. Um, I mean, there were obviously like hundreds, thousands of artists, but like in my little <laughs> blinkered view. But I do remember that in the 90s, like the alt country idea sort of raised its head. And uh, like, what do you think? What, what was up with that? Like, that was kind of, again, it sort of touches on that idea of like marketing or like the notion of authenticity or something. But they were doing something a bit more outside of the Nashville mainstream too, right? Yeah, I mean... Maybe they were like, maybe they grew up listening to 
like country music, like old old country music, but they also liked you know, they were teenagers and they liked rock music. I feel like alt country is like people combining their parents' influence and then like whatever modern adolescent like thing that they're into when they're growing up. For me, like because it's like it's all alt country sometimes it's like seems a bit more personal even like the How do you mean? Like the songs instead of you know, this idea of some, sometimes, you know, people have an idea that you're, you should write a song that's universal, that everyone can, somebody gave me songwriting advice that was like, don't say what type of flower it is, just say the color, and then the listener can put in whatever type of flower, you know, like, but I feel like with alt country, it became more, like, lyrics-wise about, like, people's personal experiences and well that's a really interesting perspective like i i i never thought about that what you said about the person's advice about the you know making something more vague yeah sort of like the theory that like in 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 like comics or cartoons like the more abstract you make the face the more like the reader like relates and projects their own face onto it um well i think yeah people write songs like that too and then it was interesting because uh i was talking to someone else about that advice and they were like yeah but those songs don't ever speak to me (laughs) well that's the thing that's so strange eh like i mean uh, yeah i feel like i'm i'm I'm, we're like floating over the surface of something that i can't uh I, i can't figure out how to how to how to dive deep in it but that's you know that's the whole process of what we're doing here. Um, but um, so like, yeah, I, get, I think what you just said touches on something that that is kind of like key to talking about a country. You know, since the whole time in my whole adult life, there's been this kind of schism between like traditional country and new country. And it's like, it's almost bold uh, to, to say that you like new country. Um, and I wondered, as someone who's more in the world of country, like what you what your position on that is, or what your opinion about it is. Well, I think I think there's new country that's great. You know, like there's also just it's hard because the traditional country that survived is that or that survived. I mean, that people still listen to is like mm-hmm. the really good stuff. So right now when you hear like all the music that's being made, it's like not being filtered through time yet. So people are like, oh, there's so much crap now, but it's just maybe there was almost as much crap before or like bad songs, but we don't, you know, it hasn't had to go through the test of time as they say. But as for new... I think that's absolutely true, but go ahead. And like for new country, like... I don't even know, I don't even know what new country is. You know, like, I I was in Nashville, I guess, two years ago for a few weeks and listened to a lot of their radio because you have yeah. to drive a lot there. And, like, yeah. you know, there are some good songs, but, like, every song sounds the same. It's just, there's, it's like a formula. But uh, I think that 
you know, like that the chorus has to come before 45 seconds and there's like lyrics, you know, and people have made amalgamations of like uh, all that, you know, the top 10 country songs of the year and they've like put it into one song and it's like the exact same song. But to me, that's not really like music. That's just like the music business. And then there's lots of people who are in Nashville who are writing like amazing songs and playing amazing songs. They're just not on the radio. Like, I don't know. It's, I'm not really able to express it well. Like country music came, we, you know, the world got to know about it because of the radio. Like, you know, the Carter family, they played six days a week on the radio station in Texas, I think, like for several years and then everyone got to hear hear them or the Grand Ole Opry was like a radio station Uh that was every Saturday night but now I feel like the radio that we country music that we listen to on like the radio it's it's not it's not it's not the it's not helping the it's not helping music I don't think that's Um, how why not because I I don't think that the songs are like original and I'm not talking about all of them but just like you know, when you just, uh, I'm not interested, I guess, myself in the music that's just written to just make money, but like, yeah, that's all. But I don't want to say something snobby, like I'm not trying to be snobby. It's just that. Sure, sure. It's boring to me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm totally with you, but I, I can't help but wonder, like we might roll our eyes at some of the traditionalists who say, like, oh, when we listen to music up until point, and then after that it becomes not, you know, not authentic anymore. But we are saying, are we saying effectively this, the same thing? If we say, like, oh, this new country is only made to make money and like it has nothing to do with expression, or you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. That's why I don't want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> But like, because like, there's so many great like Brandy Carlisle. What a great songwriter, you know, amazing. has has lots of hits. People people love her. Like, she's new because she's writing country today. Maybe it's just like to not. Maybe the word new country is not right. You yeah. know. Well, there's something kind of like silly about the idea because new country, quote unquote, as a genre has it been around since the 90s at least right yeah so it's not really new no anymore yeah <laughs> i think that like in a way you could call it like digital country Ooh, nice <laughs> like i don't know if some if i'm coining that phrase you're hearing music criticism history being made in real time here folks that's like i don't know what i don't want to say that's the difference but that's definitely a key difference to me and you know to be clear, like there's a lot of purely digital music that I love, but like when I want to listen to country music, I'm not sure if I want to hear like a highly digitized musical experience. Hmm. There's something that sounds a little wrong about it to me. But even as I say that, I can poke the logical holes through it. (laughs) They're like a mile wide. I guess, I mean, like what about pop music like all the pop music that's being made like i find it interesting we don't in pop music do they do that are they like oh new pop sucks but old pop was amazing like well i mean i think 
that yeah people definitely say that or they'll say they don't like pop music but then like if you scratch below the surface they might love a pop song from when they were a teenager let's say or when they're in their early 20s or when they were a little kid you know or i mean you know maybe some folks can claim that they've always been hip and never <laughs> liked anything that's popular and to those people i say hey you do you <laughs> um but yeah what? i think that there's i'm gonna when i Maybe from now onwards, when we say new country, we just mean country that was made in the last few years. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? I love new country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, at some level, it is all about, you know, marketing and the and the concept of authenticity. Because, like, an artist who... Um, who strikes a chord outside of the country mainstream might be someone who says, okay, I'm not going to like have this top 40 sound. I'm going to choose not to put a top 40 sound and choose not to like crank the auto tune up to 11 on my, on my voice and, uh, and make something that's a little bit more like old fashioned because it suits the song better. Like that's an artistic choice, but when, in terms of the music business, the way that it's presented to people, it's like an opportunity to say like, uh, you know, outwardly or, or not in so many words, like this isn't that like fake ass country that you, you don't like. This is like the real shit. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah. Do I know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Is that, but is that what maybe, I don't know. Is that how people market stuff anymore maybe like to a small group i don't know i mean you know there's that whole story about like willie nelson you know his album the redheaded stranger yes i do and he like did it in the studio with his touring band which was very like uh unheard of then like you have your session musicians and then you have your road band and the never the twain shall meet okay and then he he want so he did that and the label was like thought that the album was going to be a write-off like that it was like messy and not perfect and nobody would like it but they released it just to be nice to him to throw him a bone and then it was like a number one hit yeah well i mean i don't know like insofar as you can be objective i mean that's just like a stone cold classic album and but it is messy right yeah maybe messy is not quite the right word but like he's like so far like behind the beat that you can't even figure out where the beat is and but like you know then then i think you know miles davis said that was one of his biggest influences for making bitches brew <laughs> so it's amazing. like you know and uh man i did you see the willie nelson show that he did at place des Arts when um no no have you ever seen him perform live yeah like, just once yeah same, same here and uh it was really incredible because i feel i don't know if if you felt this or if if i can even articulate this but i feel like when you listen to his records it's like okay he's singing way like behind the beat but when he was performing it was like his whole band was just like wherever he was they were like just with him so it was it was and they didn't have a, a drum kit there was like a percussionist or two percussionists but anyway it was just like so amazing and such a crazy musical experience to see 
Yeah, me t- I I felt the same way. He was so amazing. And also like, you know, he's he's older now and his solos they were amazing because I just could feel like that there was some muscle memory going on there like maybe sure. they would start off a little like rocky and then just like get into it like amazing musician. Yeah. Yeah. Um I feel like we were very lucky to have been able to to see him play like do you have other musicians who you feel like you were fortunate to like to see them play while while they were still around yeah i mean willie nelson we can still go see him play yep absolutely (laughs) well i mean maybe not right now not right now but but maybe hopefully soon i saw on facebook that he's getting excited about playing again he can't wait to get on the road again Uh, like Dolly Parton, I saw her play. And oh man, that was that's amazing. one of the missing things on my lifetime wish column. She's amazing. Like she just, she's amazing. What are you gonna say? She's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Dolly Parton. There's been this whole explosion of appreciation for her in the last year or so. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, like, not to sound like a hipster snob, but it's just like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, hello, like I was into her like, way before. <laughs> I had a conversation with somebody who was saying that like Dolly Parton lip syncs all the time, that they saw her, I don't know, at Glastonbury or something. And I was like, Dolly Parton doesn't lip sync. Like, like why, why, why are you saying this? <laughs> like, I really got upset about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I couldn't really speak to that, but I mean, sometimes when you uh, when you see people playing at those gigantic shows, like the they're so far away that the the movement of their mouth, like on the on the video screen, might be like delayed from the sound that's coming. So maybe that's why yeah. I would hate to to like impugn Dolly with that kind of like accusation. Yeah, like I just I don't know. I felt like why why single out Dolly Parton for lip syncing? You know, like. She has the most amazing voice in the world. Why would she? Yeah. Why would she do that? No one's like, oh, Leonard Cohen was lip syncing. <laughs> I blame the patriarchy for thinking that she somehow couldn't do it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so, um, all right. So we've covered like new country, alt country, digital country. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> When you do your radio show, are you trying to sneak in more more new artists, like in amongst the the traditional sounds? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, like, I I guess I realized, you know, that the show is very and country music also is very white, so mm-hmm. I've been trying to like be more diverse in the show, and like have like black musicians or black country musicians and uh like some indigenous country artists in there and that's been my goal for like the last year to just not be so uh close-minded I didn't even know I was you know like yeah well it's easy to uh it's easy to overlook that um I mean partly because uh you know just historically, a lot of the most visible artists were white. Um, but uh, I feel like I've seen some stuff about more black 
like country artists coming up and kind of like trying to reclaim their spot. Um, and then like, I mean, there must be tons of, uh, indigenous country musicians out there because it's so, it's so big in those communities. Like it's, it's, you know, not to, to like generalize, but like from, from, from what I've seen, it's typically like, there's a big base of country fans in, in those communities. Yeah. Well, I think anywhere in Canada, when you leave, uh, the big cities, there's country fans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's what I've been trying to do in the radio show. And it's been like super for me. <laughs> yeah. Been well, in... I think you have to, you know, entertain and educate yourself first and then just hope that everyone else is uh, along for the ride. Um, do you, so in your own music, I mean, like, would you consider what you're doing to be in the country genre, or is it is it a, is it a bit broader than that? I mean, I think when I make it, I don't think about it at all. I just uh, do like what I like and what feels right, uh, and then afterwards, like when I if I release an album, then I'm like, oh, <laughs> what do I want the press to say about this? And then I try to come up with something. <laughs> <laughs> to be totally honest. So, I mean, I think it's folk and country for sure, but I don't know if other people think that. I mean, th those are my influences. So I, I would say that, but I, I, I think like if someone else was listening, they'd probably not call it country anymore. You mean like any more relative to your earlier records? Yeah, or? like maybe my first record was country and maybe my second was more folk and this and one where, where I don't do you know. think the like where would you draw that line like where do you think that line lies per se the line between country and folk yeah i mean i think just that's a good question uh oh yeah I'm, i got a million of them like i think maybe the instruments could be the decider you know if you got pedal steel is it folk I don't know, but Lassa had pedal steel. Yeah. So sometimes I play her on the radio show. Joe Grass played in her band, and then that's my good uh, "is it country?" question. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, I think it's it's always good to uh, to ask those questions because it's 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 easy to get stuck in a rut of one uh, genre. The only problem is, as an artist, if you're not in a genre, people don't know where you fall in the categories then like coming back to the marketing thing it's like it's harder to know what to do with it yeah i mean i think that's as i've learned the hard way <laughs> what genre are you malcolm yeah i'm gonna leave that to my non-existent marketing team <laughs> to come up with nice me too i mean i think the genres are all just for marketing so yeah for sure i don't i don't I don't really worry about it too much because nobody buys records anymore anyway. <laughs> That's a good positive note. <laughs> <laughs> You're free. You, we don't yeah. need genres anymore. You know, I mean, I think that that's, there's, there's truth in that. I think that with the way that people listen to music, there's less and less like genre loyalty, which ultimately is, I think, a good thing. Um, 
before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask one more, one more very vague general question. Like you're familiar with the oeuvre of Taylor Swift? Yes, I do know who Taylor Swift is. <laughs> no, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to suggest that you didn't know who she was, but, um, I was just curious when, because in recent years, she's kind of like turned to doing these like more stripped down, like quote unquote folk type records. And again, like coming back to the, you know, the perception of authenticity, it's like, that's part of the whole narrative that she's pushing with these records. And I'm kind of like, man, that really has a stronghold on people's minds when like a massive artist still feels the need to prove her authenticity like she doesn't need to 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 be quote-unquote authentic you know like she could just like keep raking in money for the rest of her life but like even she feels some need to show like no no i'm a real songwriter i don't need all these bells and whistles i'm i can i can get down to basics with an acoustic guitar i wonder why uh, why that's important yeah that's so interesting i hadn't really I hadn't really thought, okay, I haven't really listened to her. <laughs> the truth comes out. But I just said I know who she is. <laughs> but that that's interesting. Like, So is that what she's doing? It's like this is authentic, stripped down. You know, why is stripped down, why does that equal authenticity? I mean... Maybe you're hiding the ideas, maybe that you're hiding behind less. So you're like, mm. you're, you're just like, it's just you and, you know, like three chords and the truth, right? Like, you're just yeah. like, you're maybe more exposed. And maybe that's what is meant by it, that you're, you're, you can't, you know, gussy up your music with anything. But to me, that's not what authentic is, you know? Like, I don't, I don't, I think you can, like, be super authentic and have your song super complicated with lots of stuff going on. Yeah, maybe it's just the idea that, like, okay, it's like a thought experiment of, like, if you, if you were in a post-apocalyptic world or, like, pre, pre or post-civilization world, like, what would your music sound like if it was just you and your instrument? <laughs> is that? I, don't want to get, I mean, if, that's if what that authenticity is. is? No. Amazing. Well, well, no, but but like, uh, but maybe, maybe, maybe the concept of authenticity is rooted in a science fiction uh, conception of uh, of uh, what like what what could, what would the music be if there was like if there was nothing else. Right. There were no bells and whistles, which is kind of cool as a thought experiment. Yeah. I mean, I guess with country music, you know, like the Carter family, Jimmy Rogers, the people that were the early country music stars, you know, they they were like farmers or train engineers or train workers. So mm -hmm. for them, it was like the music was marketed like, oh, we're just like you. You know, and yeah. it was marketed to all farmers and train workers also. So how that evolves. So there the idea of authentic was really like, oh, I'm just like you, yeah. like working the land. Yeah. 
So, and I feel like that's still used in, certainly in country. Yeah. And perhaps in some other genres too, as like a hook, like no matter how absurd it is with like the obscene wealth of the performers and like the <laughs> complete disconnection from any kind of working class, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's still, amazing. It's, it's still used as a hook. Like, yeah, Bruce Springsteen. Spr- <laughs> Springsteen? <laughs> I've heard of him. I swear. You've never heard of Bruce Springsteen? (laughs) (laughs) You know, he he has so many, uh, even Steve Earle, like they have like working class songs. Maybe that's where their backgrounds were. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's a mystery, but I need to go listen to Taylor Swift. (laughs) Well, you know, go check her out. Uh, (laughs) You know, there's a lot of... uh, I mean, she's like, you know, just kind of an interesting example of some of the things we've been talking about, like someone who started as like a total Nashville and then went pop and then she hasn't gone back to country per se, although she has re-recorded her earlier albums because the music belongs to someone else or like, okay. like that. But she's kind of gone into this folk. And to my mind, it's like, it still sounds like commercial pop music, just with different instruments. Um, which is fine, but uh, not a criticism. Not not hating on, not hating on Taylor. Do you like her? I don't know her music well enough to really say honestly. Maybe uh, I, we should. Maybe we should both listen to her. Yes, before the next um, the next um, the time we that we do one of these, for <laughs> sure. No, but you know the reason why I, I, I kind of I, I was just marginally aware of her as a pop singer, but then a couple of good friends of mine have said like that they got really into her recent albums. And like, you know, when somebody who whose music taste I trust or somebody who, who I know doesn't give effusive praise easily says like, this is really good. It's all I listen to. It's amazing. That makes me curious. Yeah, me too. And I, I've heard that about her also. Yeah. From people. And so, yeah. And so like that, that'll always grab my attention. If someone says like, yeah, you know, it's okay. I'm just like, no, sorry, no time for that. <laughs> I'm out. If someone, someone says that something's amazing, then I'm, then I, then I, I got to check it out. And I haven't had that epiphany with her music, but I'm very curious about what it is that, that grabs people so much in that way. Yeah. We, we should listen to her and talk again. Okay. Let's do it. Um, well, Katie, I think that uh, I have to uh, I have to get back to normal life. I have to take <laughs> my dog for a walk. I gotta you gotta my kid. You gotta leave that closet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's a nice sunny day, um, but it's uh, it's great to talk to you. You too. And we may not have solved all these mysteries, but we you know we put them out there, and I think that uh, that's um, that's fun to do anyway. Yeah, it was really fun to see your face and talk to you and uh end up with more questions than answers yeah there you go well i i always uh i always love to uh to converse with you katie so it was a pleasure you too malcolm and uh hope to see you in real life before too long fingers crossed that's our show i hope you enjoyed it you can find katie moore's music wherever music is provided and you can listen to the country classics hour that she co-hosts every Sunday evening 
from 8 o'clock till 9 on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal or CKUT.ca. Say, if you did enjoy this show, you could do a little something for me. Go right now. I'm talking to you, the individual listening right now. Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you hear this show and uh, you could write us a review or the easy way, just give us a rating. The push of a button will make all the difference in getting this podcast a little love. Or if you want to go the extra mile, you could share it on your social media or just pass it on to a friend, anyone you think might be interested. I appreciate it and I appreciate you listening. See you next time for more What Is This Music?